when I was a kid. I watched a lot of TV. My parents left me at home alone. I was what you'd call a latchkey kid. Those were some dark days, but then I met a captain. His name at the time sounded so foreign to me. I repeated it to myself until I could say, Jean Luck? Jean, Jean-Luc! Jean-Luc commanded a galaxy-class starship and took me to strange new worlds. He had male pattern baldness like my dad, but he didn't care. He still commanded. And Jean-Luc made sandwiches. Little sandwiches. It was in Season 2, Episode 17 that I first saw his tiny, precisely cut sandwiches. And he made them himself. I wanted to make those sandwiches. I thought someday I'd be able to cut little sandwiches and eat them, just like Jean-Luc. If I made enough of those sandwiches, I could someday command a podcast where I talked about those sandwiches and the other things Jean-Luc did. Coming at you right about now. Welcome, everybody, to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Uh, We are in Season 2 of Star Trek The Next Generation, Episode 20, The Emissary. Which is a good title. I got to tell you, it's a good title. It it, It is. It's got what you call that layers to it. I I agree with you, Andrew, and I love talking about these titles, and we've knocked around this idea all season about the good titles and the bad titles, and I think we got a good one. Last time, I don't know if you recall, Andrew, because I just finished up my bar of that green and white Irish spring. Oh, yeah. Manly. Manly, yes. That we gifted each other. And <laughs> because I had to wash, I had to do a lot of washing after all that, uh, uh, all that Irish sex going on uh, with uh, Riker. Uh, yes. Anyways. It, um, that, was the, that was the episode before, by the way, Dave. Oh, was it? Last episode was Manhunt. Oh, oh, you know what? That required some washing, too. Some, some <laughs> mental washing. You're totally right. We're editing these things behind the scenes, and we get mixed up because... Anyways, we're telling you too much. I, I don't want to pull the curtain back that much. It's, it's we also not- just get mixed up. You know, we do the best we can to remember. Now, what uh, this is, this is our Buck Rogers podcast. Yeah. Well, uh, ne- next up on the line, it's Aaron Gray. Listen, I love what you guys are doing with this podcast. I'm Aaron Gray. Would you mind uh, putting Twiggy on? I heard he's there. Bigga, bigga, bigga. How you doing, Dave? How does it feel to live with Erin Gray still after all these years? Igga, bigga, bigga. She oils my joints. Igga, bigga, bigga. Bigga, bigga. Sometimes she accidentally sits on Dr. Theopolis. Igga, bigga, bigga. I am Commander Davey Dave. And with me... Oh, I, I'm Ambassador Andrew. It's, it's Thank you for asking about me. You're, not, you're never going to give up on this ambassadorship, are you? Well, you're this commander. I mean, why, why, why would I give up my ambassadorship? I, I okay. am a man of the people. I try to bring people together in a, a like a federation almost of people from many planets. That's what I like to think of myself as doing. You're you're writing your little coffin all around the galaxy, showing up wherever you want because of uh, the, because of Kalar episode Kalar. specific. 
So we got a good episode, everyone. And yes, we do. Sometimes you might you might be listening to our podcast and saying, "Geez, these guys and their their love of Star Trek. When will it end?" And here tonight, we've got uh, some love to share with you because the emissary is a pretty good episode. It's full of fun. It's full of Klingon centric action and and, and actual Klingon centered love. Klingon centered foreplay too. Did you know that? Oh, yes, yes, I did. I Do you did remember that? that? It was hard not to notice when there's blood involved in the foreplay. <laughs> hey, Andrew, hey. would you mind telling us what happens in this episode? Starfleet, of all things, orders the Enterprise to meet up with, a, let's call her an emissary, who will give them a vital mission. And before you know it, they have a Class 8 probe abeam filled with a half-human, half-Klingon named Kalar. Wait, oh, a beam? I don't understand that. A beam? That's some naval term. Look at you know. I don't what know. Does that I'm mean? Not a... Is that a? Is that like it's a verb? A beam on the line at right angles to a ship and or aircraft's oh, length. Oh god! A beam is specifically to the right on top right. of everything. She informs the crew once they actually get her aboard that they need to intercept a ship full of sleeping Klingons from Star Trek: The Motion Picture who think they're still at war with the Federation and stop them from blowing up a starbase or two. And that seems simple enough, except Kalar has history with war. Oh, oh my God. Never one to miss an awkward opportunity. Picard assigns Kalar and Worf to work together, and the romantic tension ramps up from simmer to full boil. Will the empath state the obvious about Kalar's feelings? Will Worf get over his Klingon rigidness and open his heart and soar? Will, hey, where the hell is Will Wheaton? He's nowhere in this episode. Oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> Find out on this exciting episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. The podcast that's not afraid to ask deep, thoughtful questions like, when exactly does a branch become a stick? Well, when it's not attached to the tree, it's, it becomes a stick. Does I, it? I thought you were going with pa- some kind of pain stick thing, because that's no, 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 no. They this zap is a stick with a C. Okay, because the pain sticks with a K, a hard K, right? No C K. Yes, with a hard K is mm-hmm. what they zapped Worf's ass with back in um, the Icarus Factor. Remember that one with Wesley? You know, it's funny, Andrew, that Wesley isn't in this episode. Sometimes the characters just take a little walkabout for one whole episode and they go, there's no reason we need to have Will Wheaton on this episode. And and of course, you know, Guinan is an on and off again character and Whoopi Goldberg is doing movies. So it makes sense that she's not right. there every week. And we've made that agreement. It's weird when you don't have Will Wheaton on and you have everybody else well, to, to me, you know, Pulaski's in there for like 20 seconds. Right. I mean, she's she's playing poker. She goes to greet Kalar when they bring her aboard, but then that's it. Yeah. We don't we don't see her again. Well, what what's interesting is we've had a lot of interactions between Crusher and Worf so far in the season, and Crusher kind of has been stepping up and trying to help Worf. And maybe it's because of all the sex that goes on in this episode. Man, they didn't want to drag, you know, Wheaton into that kind of stuff. Well, there's nothing for him to do. Well, what's he going to do? Well, we've talked about how Wheaton asks these weird, they use Crusher, (laughs) not Will Wheaton, poor Will Wheaton. They use Crusher's character to get to exposition sometimes. So they they make him ask things that 
no real human person, at least in, in our world, would ask a person. And a couple episodes back, we had him asking some very pointed questions of Picard. Right, right. In the Icarus Factor. We- Are you sorry that you never had kids? Uh, uh, Are you uh, sorry uh, you never got married? Mr. Worf, I'm curious. When Kalar came on board, I noticed a strange kind of uh, bulge in your front, uh, uh, your, your front <laughs> uniform area. Is there anything to that, Mr. Worf? Mr. Worf, do you have ridges down below as well? Mr. Warp, I've heard about this male grooming thing, like man grooming. What do you call it when a Klingon grooms down there? Klingonscaping. Clarkscaping. It would have been good if Wesley Crusher was in this episode, and when Kalar pops up, he's just like, and he's just like struck, because she is <laughs> she's a striking individual, right? I mean, well, she is. But it would have been great then, and he could have been like, you know, Mr. Worf, I'm going to fight you for her, you know, and that kind of stupidity. It would have been great if he had like this horrible crush, and 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 Worf just gets like really angry about it. Right, like, Ensign, you need to get away from her. I saved one of those pain sticks with the hard K. It's back in my room. Next time, your ass is zapped with that thing, Crusher. Remember the episode? Remember the Dauphine? When How could I ever forget? Yes, when the teenage crush that he has, she's like a princess and she comes on board and Wesley's like, boing, He's yes. like, he like yes. loses yes. his mind. And, and it would have been hysterical if Kalar came on and he's beside himself again. You got Riker because Riker was coaching him in that episode about what to do. And, and what if he went up to he went to 10 forward to get advice from Whoopi Goldberg about like, uh, his possible relationship with this Klingon half Klingon who loves Worf. Guinan, do you think a, a human and a half human half Klingon could could be in love. Hold on, hold on, hold on a second, guy. Uh, uh, Captain Picard, come. A <laughs> uh, Captain Picard. I have a very important question. Remember when we bonded in the shuttlecraft a couple minutes ago? Remember that, Captain? Do you think somebody that is considered the Mozart of space and time, and I think also propulsion, has any shot with a half Klingon, half human, who's pretty darn hot? <laughs> Wesley, please. Uh, Wesley, I'm looking at these rings again. Leave me alone. <laughs> Mr. Crusher, that whole Mozart business was at the beginning of last season. We've all forgotten it. Mr. Worf will snap you like a twig with your darty pants. We had a meeting about it, Crusher. We all agreed that that guy was a bit of a creep after all. We said, your mom's gone now, and we've got to do a better <laughs> job looking after you whenever the traveler shows up again. No, I'm going to say no. Remember when you thought Celia was the most beautiful woman you ever saw, and now you've had time to think about it, and you realize she really isn't? That's the same with the Traveler. I'm, I'm going to come up with a beverage right now. I, oh, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, I need to interrupt Bless our, our oh, proceedings. Richard. I'm gonna, what are you drinking there tonight when we're making a podcast? Is it some kind of... Um... It, is a, it is, again, a boobly, but okay. this time it is a Blackberry boobly. Because due to supply restrictions, yes, my typical cherry boobly was unavailable. Oh my god! Okay, I'm gonna. I am also gonna pop uh, a tab here. Mm, Perrier. Oh, not a Schlitz malt liquor. We're not doing a drunk podcast, folks, until the end of the season. All right. <laughs> you know what I thought was great in this episode was our return for the third time, I believe, to the card game in Riker's room. 
It's the second time. The Is second it? time. So the, the yes, the first time was Measure of a Man. I looked this up. I'm sorry, I looked this up because I, I saw three. your note. Then what was the second one? So you got Measure of a Man. Right. I think there's another this one. And now this one. Maybe uh, you know what I'm thinking about. I guess I'm getting that egg. The episode where Riker was making right. eggs mixed up. Maybe that was the other time. So they we they were spent a lot of time in Riker's quarters. Right. And most of the time, of course, it's been very neat until he brought Brenna in there. Uh, uh, Brenna, Brenna Odell from uh, Up the Long Ladder. And she commented about how messy his room was and that it needed a lady's touch. And after yes. she consummated touched their, uh, their what did you say? After she touched it. <laughs> after they got their space sex on, after they did first contact, then she got to cleaning it up. It's back in shape. You know, maybe that's what he does. Maybe he hooks up with these girls just because he needs somebody to clean his room afterwards. Wow, he should have tried that with Kalar. You know, and it's kind of interesting because this is a very much a romantic. There's a lot of energy here. There's a lot of tension, a lot of romantic tension. And Riker is just steering clear. He is yeah. not going to get in the way of Worf and Worf's relationship because he knows what's going to happen. And I think when they go back to the holodeck, the fact that Kalar and Worf go back to the same holodeck scene that Riker and Worf went to and where silence has lease. Yes. I think Riker is very, very uh, familiar with what happens when a Klingon gets worked up and he's not going to get in the middle of that. And, and that, that was episode two. And it's actually a really good scene in both episodes, this one and two in the first one, Riker gets to go on a little holiday with Worf and sit in on one of his exercise routines or whatever he calls it is calisthenics, right? It's this really violent death match between Worf and weird aliens. And and then at the end of it, Riker has to like basically slap him in the face because Worf is so out of control. It's like he's going to turn on the second in command and actually kill his maybe. I don't know if Riker is actually his friend, but whatever this relationship is, he's going to at least kill the second in command until Riker has to snap him out of it. At ease, Lieutenant. No, he doesn't slap him. I think if he would have slapped him, he would have right. ended up without a head. I got a little carried away. I'm sorry. And then Worf, <laughs> Worf tells him. Captain Picard, I regret to inform you that I removed Commander Riker's head in a fit of passion after our exercise routine. Riker goes, you do this every day? And, and Worf <laughs> has to admit that he's got it on the softest setting for Riker. Right, which goes back. This is like level one that Kalar does. Right. I want to get back to this poker game. Yes, please. Let's talk about the poker game. It's a great device, and it'll come up several times throughout the series. Right. We talk a lot about using action to advance the plot. In this case, they're doing it really to advance the character, creating some depth here. And they're showing, not telling. In other words, they're having Worf act out his characteristics as opposed to someone saying, you know, I've noticed that that Lieutenant Worf sure is stoic. Right. And reserve. I wonder if that'll come up later in the episode. It's so goddamn refreshing when they do this. It is such a great device. And we were really excited a few episodes back. We had a sequence and, and, and I and it wasn't character building, it was it was exposition. We had this action oriented phaser range scene between Riker and Picard where they're shooting things and talking about the boring crap that's about to happen on the episode but it was so well thought out in a way that it often isn't on the show and and I like how we do keep returning to this game and it does focus at different times on different people so we get this that that Warp is a no-nonsense poker player who does not bluff 
I love that Pulaski calls him handsome. I mean, that really made me laugh. I know. Part of me thinks, does she really think he's handsome, though? Or I, is she, you know, being a jerk again? Yeah, it's a weird. It's weird because we've complained about Pulaski, and she's certainly softening, and just in time because she's going to disappear forever from the Star Trek universe. She becomes so soft, she will disappear. Right. I beamed her out into the cloud, man. So she's softening up with Worf, and we had a few episodes back. They exchanged tea in the Bringoli episode when they had their tea ceremony together. I don't know what... Going to read her some love poetry, so for all we know, they're, you know... Yeah, I I can't tell if she's being cute. I I play it as cute. Like, it didn't play as insulting, even though... No, no. She could have played it that way, because they've insulted his looks and his smell and his behavior and his intelligence, and for some reason, this one landed okay to me, and I don't know if it was Mulder doing it or... right. It works better. I don't know. The episode in general is pretty pro-Wharf, which is pretty great to see. I want to be generous about this and say that it might have been a character note that Mulder throws in there, or the script asks for it, where she's trying to rattle him a little bit, right? They're playing poker. So right. is she being flirty with him to try to rattle him? Is she making a comment that she knows will make him uncomfortable? You know, what is she trying to do here? That's interesting. I mean, Riker kind of does the same thing when he calls him Iceman. Yeah. Hey, Iceman. He uses that line. He calls him that later on, too. And I, and I guess he's Maverick. Riker would be Maverick. <laughs> you think it's a you think it's a Top Gun uh, uh, reference? What also struck me about this game was Riker gets called to the bridge and Picard's sitting there on the bridge, just kind of, you know, sitting in the chair, staring straight ahead. <laughs> And it really made me wonder why he wasn't at the game. And of course, I remember, right? I remember that he joins the game in the final episode for the first time. In all good things, Picard joins the poker game. And he says, oh, I should have done this a long time ago. It's a big deal that he joins. Right. But it really did strike me, and probably because I had the context of the entire series, it really did strike me that he's on the bridge by himself, and it's like all his his officers are hanging out in Riker's right. room, really developing a relationship. You have some nice character notes. He's got some nice interaction here. And meanwhile, who's up by himself, you know, alone, sitting in the seat, thanking God he's not on that shuttlecraft again <laughs> with 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 Wesley, right. but Picard. And it kind of made me a little, I felt a little sad for him. It, it makes sense that he's this lonely guy and he hasn't, made these connections where he very well could. He could just go down there. I I don't know what he is actually doing, though. It seems awfully boring in space from what we've seen. Outside of when they're all going to get murdered by some entity, there's a lot of free time on that ship where nothing seems to be happening. And we get these little glimpses. We get this card game. We get the you know the cooking channel in Riker's room once right. we get these holodeck episodes where they're trying to distract themselves and you know there's a lot of free time I think Jean Luc was wasn't it uh, this season he was trying to solve that theorem game? yeah Fermat's theorem he was looking right. at orbits a while back yes those rings and then of course we saw him actually like you know riding his holographic right. horse Yes. We've seen him play Dixon Hill, and we know he reads. We see him read all the time. So he had, definitely has pastimes. There's a lot to do. But he doesn't seem to be able to indulge in them because people are constantly interrupting him. I, I know you all invited me to play cards, but I'm busy right now. I'm trying to get that goddamn crusher off my back. 
he's sitting on the bridge all the time. He's like, oh, Wesley, um, I told you I want you to go all the way to the other side of the ship. I've got a very important mission for you over there. When you get there, Wesley, please tell me you're there, all right? So that's what he's doing while they're playing cards. And Wes- Wesley's like, uh, Captain Picard, I'm in, I'm in the very back of the uh, starboard warp nacelle. Now what? All right. All right, Crusher. Still for one second. Emergency saucer sap. <laughs> very good. Stay very still, please. <laughs> eject, eject the warp core. Now, please, count to ten and then start walking back very slowly, Crusher. I need a few moments alone to think. I just need you back there. See how it works when we separate the saucer and we put some distance between the two parts of the ship. You just stay back there and report to me what you see. Okay. All right, Captain Regard. Tell me exactly what it looks like. I, I, I we had, we had a uh, Lavar Burton do it once, but now we need you. We want you to describe it in great detail. Captain Picard, when when I'm done, can we have some more sandwiches? <laughs> Will you make me more sandwiches? Wesley, listen, listen. I'm going to give you a very important mission. It's a secret no one knows. I keep my sandwiches in the very back corner. It, there's a little kitchen where I make those sandwiches, young crusher. If you can find it on the ship, I will teach you how to make those wonderful finger sandwiches without the crusts. Captain! What is it, Crusher? <laughs> no, 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 he doesn't answer. It's <laughs> just like, Captain! I don't see a, a kitchen back Captain! Does anybody Captain! hear anything? <laughs> Do you, uh, Mr. Data? I think my compass is broken. <laughs> Mr. Data, did you hear anything? Could you please turn up the audio on the front viewer, Mr. Data? There's a strange buzzing I'm getting. Mr. Data, pipe all channels, Ferengi opera. I just love that shit. I don't know where I am. <laughs> you said there were sensors back here. I can't find a one. So what's exciting in this episode is we get, first we get a new form of space travel. We've the stupidest thing. I know, but we've never seen this before. And I mean, if they stuck with this, I would go like, cool, but we've seen weird forms of travel. It's part of the problem of having this galaxy class ship because it's so fast. It can go anywhere and they have to invent other ways of traveling just to keep the show interesting because the thing is just too damn efficient. So we've had mini shuttlecrafts. We've had the larger shuttlecraft. We've had the near warp transport, which is like a fast way of dropping your ex Mzadi off into space on a planet because you don't want to slow down and park the car for five seconds. Let's try that with Mr. Crusher. <laughs> what do you think of Neo Warp, Wesley? How does that feel? It's exactly what I did to your mom when she wanted to leave the show. Beverly, <laughs> we'll drop you off, but you're getting one of those Neo Warp transports. <laughs> Goodbye. Get us close to Starfleet Medical, Mr. O'Brien. Don't be overly careful about it. We've got a new doctor coming on. Kalar comes aboard in a Class 8 probe. Right. And it's, first of all, why? But second of all, they say that this thing is traveling at warp 9. Right. The whole back part of the Enterprise is the engine, right? You got those giant nacelles. You have that whole engine area. Right. It's a big deal. It takes constant maintenance. They're always afraid the stupid warp core is going to breach. But meanwhile... Maybe they, there's a giant Starfleet Pez dispenser that shoots it out right. at warp nine. How is this thing? How can it possibly travel at warp nine with what? I don't know if the idea 
I don't know if they thought about it, okay, first of all. But then I also don't know if, if she was supposed to be shot out of something. Like, if you fired this missile that she was in at warp nine, and while you're traveling at that speed, do you keep a constant warp at that point? I mean, do you continue to stay at that speed until you come across something that can tractor beam you in like the Enterprise did? Is that the idea? It's a probe. I, I don't know. Well, it, so it's, it, a pro- it's such a weird thing to have happened. So it's a probe. We've seen the Enterprise launch probes. Where silence has least, they launch a probe. But are they capable of launching something at warp speed like that? It just seems so weird. And wouldn't it just crush her like a bug? I know. I mean, what sort of gravity it, compensation is there? You know, it's totally just played for effect. It's silliness, I agree. But when she climbs out of it, because they, they, they beam her in, they, they capture her with the tractor right. beam, and then they beam in the thing, like this giant suitcase that she's sitting in, which just looks like a big coffin. And it's like what they shot Spock into Genesis with. Right. It looks like a photon torpedo case. Right. And so they bring her in, and when she climbs out of it, it's funny and kind of amazing. You're like, wow, this is one tough woman that can be fired off into space in some kind of a missile and climb out of it. And she's feeling a little claustrophobic, but outside of that, she's okay. And I I think that that was the idea is that we're supposed to understand that she is just one tough badass. It would have been great if Picard had greeted her with a plate of those finger sandwiches. (laughs) Because there's no room for finger sandwiches in there, right? And they they have her in this Doctor Doom mask. Why would you be able to breathe, much less compensate for inertia inside this this casing? So there's a bunch of foolishness. Captain Picard, I've been in here for the last six hours. I've heard tale of those wonderful sandwiches. Do you have any for me? And then there he is, <laughs> there he is with the plate of him. So it, it would be uh, it would be brilliant. Woman is six two. She's six two. She is not a, a, a short person. So Michael Dorn is is six three. Right. Uh, Patrick Stewart's like five ten. They all sort of like fill in around those heights. And this is something we talked about before: bringing people on the show whose natural physical attributes as human beings make them appropriate for this kind of show. Right. That that they have something that makes them, in this case, literally stand out. You know, we saw her before as as Dr. Salar in uh, Schizoid Man, the Vulcan Doctor. Yeah. And here she is again, but she's perfectly cast. Oh, yeah. They absolutely. I mean, she could look Worf dead in the eye. I know. Without it, any trick photography or anything. It, I think a lot of times on television, the shows sometimes take for granted that somebody's really big. Everybody understands this is a, a big person like Michael Dorn's a really big guy. Right. And 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 William right. Frakes is a pretty big guy, too. Right. But they kind of take for granted that we're supposed to understand how big they are. So they don't shoot them like if you were shooting them in a one off episode like her here. They make sure that you know that she's really tall. They put her up against Worf. They make sure you see Picard against her and how much taller she is than Picard. So they do all the right things that you do when you have an exceptionally different hided person or some yeah. human being that's very uh that looks way different than everybody else and they did a good job with it here you don't always see it you don't always note it on the rest of the regular cast on the show and, and like mr Hom, right like mr Hom absolutely like carol stricken they also dress her for this those outfits are outrageous <laughs> they're emphasizing her height 
Right. They're usually they're mostly solid colors. Yeah. Right. Those armbands that she has on that one outfit just emphasize how long her arms are. Right. It's definitely meant to emphasize her stature. Yes, and she's wearing like for a lot of it, she's wearing this this one kind of one piece spandex red suit. They're they're showing her off. Well, they're definitely emphasizing her physicality. Her also her delivery is excellent. You know, she did it also as Doctor Solar. But yeah. there's something I I don't want to call it arch, but there's something about her delivery where she's like really eats up those lines. Yeah, and she's so good at the sarcasm. She's so good at the raised eyebrows, and she really just puts some life into the show. She does. It's fantastic. It's really enjoyable. I was reading that the director afterwards was kind of lamenting that maybe he had her overplay some of those lines, and she herself has said that she has tackled that character and Solar with kind of an over-the-top approach to it, like a real kind of stagey approach. And I, I don't know, that both mm-hmm. times it works for those characters. I just don't think you can even go over the top with the Klingon stuff. And you need somebody like that that can play against somebody like Worf. Michael Dorn is doing a good job with Worf, but his character is so flat oftentimes, and he's supposed to be that way. He's supposed to be somebody that's wrangling with his emotions and has a tough time communicating how he feels and gets very angry. And to have the antithesis of that in her, like somebody that is, she's aware of her emotions. She's, she, she's, because she's half human, half Klingon, she's constantly struggling with trying to rein in her Klingon side. But then her human emotional side is kind of gregarious and fun. She's not like the rest of the people on the ship that don't seem to have any fun and don't seem to have a lot of passion for anything. What I always like about Worf is he's got some understated humor. or He always, he always gets a weird line in here and there that's really funny. It's just like at the end of this one where they ask him how he liked command and he's like comfy chair. You know, that's perfect right. wharf delivery. The exchange between him and Kalar at the first time they're in that tactical room together and they're supposed to be working together. She's like, you're not even looking at me. I, I got myself all dolled up for you and you're not even looking at me. I'm familiar with your appearance. <laughs> you know, it's like, boom. Right. I just love that. I know he's good at it. I'm really enjoying wharf more. This time around, I just so wish that they had treated him better so that these episodes were, this is a Worf episode. You, you know, nobody's making fun of him in this episode. Nobody's telling his, him he's wrong. The, the show's about him this time. And I just wish there was more of this going on from episode to episode instead of us constantly using him as this kind of goof. And he actually comes up with the solution, right? I mean, right. The, the resolution. Yeah, he's of the, the one. Is based on on his thinking. And no, he's wonderful in this. This is the episode where we start the Worf arc, where he starts to become a fully realized character. Right. We have spent all this time with all this sort of silly stuff, goofy stuff. And now here we're going to get some honest feeling. We're going to get some passion. We're going to get some investment right. in something. And we're going to see him do his thing that we've been begging for. We want to see him in action. We want to see him using his strategy, his strategic skills. Right. Here he, do- he does all of that. And, and we get to see uh, this ro- weird romantic side to him, too, where he it has this relationship with this woman. And there is character development within this episode for Worf. He starts at a place. He's being the Iceman in the card game. And he melts a little. He changes his opinion. He makes decisions based on things he learns within this episode 
that changed the course of the show. And I know this character goes on and becomes somebody very different by the end of this show, but also he moves on to Deep Space Nine and has a lot of character work done there yeah. too. He's a very right. different character at the end of all this. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Kalar and Worf actually end up having a kid. And next time we see her, she's got this little homunculus with her that is is Worf's kid, Alexander. Worf Jr. Yeah, so Kalar's having a tough time, and our resident empath comes on to give her some advice. And again, with the Deanna Troy stuff, for all the character development that Worf is getting to have in this episode, we don't have very much of it for poor Deanna. Marina Sirtis plays it well. She does a good job delivering these lines, but... Again, she's kind of stating the obvious, like you're having a tough time. And Kalar admits that it's hard for her to rein in her Klingon side. When she gets angry, she really has a tough time. Kalar smashes this glass table in her room. Deanna just happens to pop in right after the table's broken to bits. Then notes, hey, you know what? You can take out your aggressions in this little old place we have called the holodeck. This is why they need Kalar on the show, or at least someone like Kalar on the show. Yeah. Because she makes Troy better, too. Because Troy does have her typical, I said you're upset, scene. It's like, oh, really? But they play it so well. Kalar just throws it back at her. Right. You know, your finely honed Betazoid sense tell you that. <laughs> yeah, she insults her. It's funny. Yeah, like that and the table. Uh, <laughs> you're busting up our furniture here. You gotta go back to space, Ikea. This stuff literally costs nothing. It's made out of the same stuff that the Earl Grey comes from. They're a nice pair because they have parallels, right? I mean, they're both, you know, half human, half something else. They both have to kind of wrestle right. with with that. There's a lot more to be done that's not done, obviously, for, for time. You right. know, there's no room for it. It's not about her and Troy. I couldn't help myself thinking I would love to see. That would have been a show I would have watched. Kalar and Troy, Traveling the Universe. There's all these books that people have written about this show, and I just wonder if they did more with Kalar and Troy in one of these books. Or, or Andrew, would you mind investigating that? Because I'm going to forget about it in the next five minutes. Yeah, but, I'm going to get right on that right. just uh, just <laughs> as soon as we're done here. In all oh, my free but... time, I want to go read Star Trek novels. Well, what I, what I want to throw out there to the peeps, to our fanatical fan following... If somebody wants to go out there and find a Kalar and Troy book or write one, let us know. I would like to read it right after I read the Sonia Gomez story arcs that there are novels about it, believe it or not. (laughs) I would like to see Sonia Gomez is the captain of the ship. Kalar and Troy go on board for a mission. And the mission is to recover Wesley Crusher from the back left (laughs) nacelle of Sonia Gomez's ship. He's there. He's like, you know, 41 at this point. And he's like, hey, my joints are acting up. Oh, I've been in this nacelle for so long. He said I could come back as soon as I had these sandwiches, Dan. I think I finally do. Wonderful. I, I Let me examine your sandwiches. These are wonderful, young crush. Oh, yes, yes. Not to be too precise. I, I see a bit of crust on this one. But when I pick up these sandwiches, Mr. Crusher. I want my my little French fingers right on the soft white bread. I want to feel the cucumbers against my fingers. And and then I, I want to be able to put both hands on the sides of the sandwiches when I put them up to my mouth so that I could nibble them, Crusher. Watch this look. By... Do you see how my fingers are touching a bit of crust? Oh, I need all the crust cut off. 
Can you say I'm the Mozart of space, time, propulsion, and sandwich crusts? Sometimes I wonder, Captain, what would happen if my dad lived? Do you think if my dad was here, the traveler would still have been into me? Wesley, the traveler <laughs> is your father. Yes, I was telling you, Wesley, about these sandwiches. Your father couldn't cut them with shit either. This is eventually what led to his death. Right. I needed sandwiches, damn it. Crusher, I told you, hurry up with the sandwich plate. I had to shut that door. You didn't come fast enough. You were carrying it. I said, run double time. No, no, you didn't. I had to choose between him and the sandwiches, Wesley. And I was so hungry. Uh, Crusher, pass me the plate of sandwiches before I have to shut the door and cut your arms off, all right? Isn't that how he died? Didn't he die because he had to lock him into some... He had to lock him into something, yeah. Uh, John Luke, I'm not coming. I am not uh, I'm not handing you the sandwich plate, John Luke. I want my full body in there. No, it's okay. Trust me, Krasha. Just hand me the plate first, and then you... <laughs> okay, so I got to tell you, we have one scene. There is one scene in this oh episode God. that gives us everything we've been asking for. We got some action. We got some stunt work here. Yes. And... We actually have some feelings. Yeah, she goes, Kevlar goes into the holodeck to let off some Kevlar. steam. We get a return to the same scene, the same set, same lighting, the same creeps that were attacking Worf. She's going to uh, beat the shit out of. She's going to let loose on these guys. Skeletor, and, and I don't know if that bird bug thing was in there, but. Oh, yeah, the Wicker Man or whatever yeah. the heck he is. The yeah, first yeah. Time. Yeah, it's really creepy. Was Worf really into Masters of the Universe? Is that? <laughs> I know. Obviously, it's Skeletor. Is... It was my favorite playset as a child. Father, when I grow up, I want to be man at arms. So she goes in and she's like beating the shit out of these guys again. And Worf, for some reason, seems to sense that she might be letting off some steam in the holodeck. He's like, hey, wait, wait a second. Somebody's got my program up. Picard tells him to go and relax. Oh, right? so he's going to go chill out in the holodeck. Picard's role in this episode is really interesting to me because he is either like the biggest dick or the biggest wingman in all of Starfleet in this episode. It's clear that Kalar and Worf have some awkwardness. So the right. first thing he does is work together. You can work it out. I think you should spend more time with a. Does it bug you, Mr. Worf? Does it bug you when I do this? What about when I do this? How about this, Mr. Worf? How about this? I'm not touching you, Mr. Worf. Now go work with Kayla. He goes, is this a personal matter? Or or is... You got any professional reasons? And we don't let our emotions influence our work, Mr. Wolf. Come on. Here is a really awkward situation that makes one of my officers remarkably right. uncomfortable. Yeah, okay. Guess what you're going to do now? <laughs> Be a big boy. You can do it. I don't know why that scene existed in this. You didn't need it. They wanted to make him look so reluctant to work with her. And if Worf's told to do something, he does it. He doesn't have to question what the cat says. He should have just gone in and did it and then acted exactly the way he did, which was he resented being around her and she made him feel uncomfortable and he didn't want to be there. And there's right. this very tense, you know, well-written scene between her and him. And that works. Yeah. Mr. Brave Warrior is afraid to be alone in a, in a room with a with uh Kalar. right but i just wanted to mention that because i know it, it's such a weird moment for picard and he's just like oh this makes you uncomfortable good well especially for somebody that is all about problem solving i mean picard is the right. one they turn to to solve every problem and it was a a bit out of character for him to assign Worf something like that to do i mean it was really more of something that Riker would have done Riker would have pushed Worf like that picard it's hard to imagine 
him doing that. And they just didn't write enough stuff for Patrick Stewart to do in this episode. It's totally fine that Picard doesn't do much. He's in every goddamn episode. There's never any Picardless episode. We get it. He doesn't have to be the forefront. Okay, so let's get back to the holodeck. I'm sorry. I just had to bring that up. In holodeck. So she uh, murders these creatures or she's in mid-murder and Worf comes in and gets all hot and fired up seeing her release like seeing her be this yeah. badass Klingon like he is and this gets him hot and horny yeah he's got a great look on his face it's like yeah yeah this is what daddy likes to see <laughs> I don't mind watching slaughter slaughter those holograms for papa he jumps in and well do, do, how, do they turn it up a level yeah they do because she, she says it's not much of a calisthenics program and then he says Computer level two. And then it's supposed to go off the rails and he gets involved and they're both murdering, you know, holograms together. He slices the Skeletor in half. Yeah, that's cool. Which is cool. You see him, he just gets zapped in half and they do this effect where he disappears, but he also kind of slides like the part that a wharf cut yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. slides down. It's cool. This leads to, of course, it's totally natural after you murder things that you want to have sex with each other. I mean, at least... That's it's natural if you're a Klingon. Well, it's a weird parallel to the Riker Wharf scene in where Silence leads. It's it's really kind of an odd parallel because Kalar takes on Worf's role there. She's she's like really hyped up and out of control, right? And he's got to do the at ease, Lieutenant uh, Riker part. Keep it in your pants, Kalar. Is that what the implication is? Uh, the difference between this sort of violent feeling and. Yes. And sexual excitation for Worf is is the same. You know, I don't know. God bless him. If, if, if he's attracted to Commander Riker, Commander Riker's a handsome guy. I don't think they thought about it like that. It does point to the weird association with violence and sex that the show has around the Klingons. Yeah. It's definitely tamped down at this point, but it's still there. And this is what happened in season one in Q Who when Riker became the Q for a few minutes. Oh, yeah. He makes that woman appear and she's on her. And and he says that thing about, this is sex, but there is no place for it in my life. You see this Klingon woman crawling across the bridge towards. Yes, yes. And he smacks her and then she's like really into it. None of that's good. And I, I, I understand we're on our high horses here in the 2020s going like, you know, we don't do things like that anymore. But I don't just don't think in 1989 it was cool to be slapping women around because this is like a sex thing to the Klingon. It was never cool. At least mercifully in this episode, there is that association because of what's going on with the holodeck. At least it's a little more mature. It's a little better thought out what happens but yes it's kind of weird but i gotta tell you as an audience member i was also i wasn't sexually excited but at least i was excited because there was some fighting going on oh my god we've been begging or i don't understand the the way that the violence is handled on this show i don't and i it's one of the things that i'm most focused on if anybody's listened to this more than a few episodes i keep complaining about this i think i'm coming off like somebody that really wants to see violence but I just want to see action on this show. I just want to see people doing things, and it doesn't have to be murdering things. I mean, I'm talking about action like people running, people trying to escape, yeah. people climbing yeah. things sometimes, people just having scenes where things happen, like even the card game. That's that's called action in a scene. You have people doing something where dialogue is driven by a thing that's being done in the scene, and that's exactly what we need more of on the show. And so when you have a scene like this where there actually is fighting and action and violence yeah it's pretty darn exciting and it's funny because 
What we seem to save the action for are these make-believe holograms. The show is saying, Great Bird's saying, like, it's, it's cool if you kill things as long as they never existed in the first place. Where there's very little violence in the show, when it's being used, it really is being used in the holodeck. In this situation, it's being used also to sex up these two Klingons so that they can then have a commercial break. They uh, do it to each other. It, that, that, that the violence has to somehow be unreal. In the right. situation where it's already unreal, it yes. has to be unreal. And there's no consequences. So even when the Klingons which we lose track of, by the way, this this mysterious Klingon ship. Oh, yeah. There's the... a whole mystery surrounding it because it's on some like mysterious mission that we can't talk about. And we never do. That's just the excuse for her to be there. Yeah. You know, they really don't do anything with it, except they have that cool scene at the end where they have her and Worf in the Klingon uniform and they look great. I mean, right. I, I love that shot of Kalar and Worf in their Klingon gear. It's fantastic. It's a nice moment. And again, it's more exciting Worf character right i mean i know exactly what to say to these people to make them submit i will push them right to the edge even that action when they're shooting their disruptors at the enterprise is like the enterprise is like so that's it that's all you got and they're bouncing right off our shields dude our shield tech has gotten a lot better while you've been sleeping. Yeah, because these Klingons are from like the Star Trek, the motion picture era. Klingons are in a ship yeah. that looks like that. And they actually they borrowed footage from the motion picture and kind of juiced it up. with Klingons stuff. use disruptors, Dave. Okay. And the reason why this episode is really well written, often we're having an episode where something is going to happen or they're going to go to a place or they're going to do a thing or they just came from a place that was way more interesting than what is happening on the episode. and. This episode works in in a way because there is a very interesting plot that could potentially happen with these Klingons, right? Even so, the story they're telling us ends up being more interesting than that story. We're not going like, oh, right, shoot. Right. Like, it could have been a whole additional story. What would have happened with these Klingons when they wake up? Wouldn't that be so interesting? Wouldn't that have all this drama? And instead, the show surprises you and that's great this yeah. is really good writing we get enough of this klingon stuff when you watch it and see what happens you can see that the klingons were an invention to have all this stuff happen to Worf. what i also think is interesting is the duality to these klingon characters in the end Worf's character is informed in a way that kalar's character is being half human half klingon he's half federation half klingon and he can figure out how to oh, deal yeah, with these point. klingons in a way that she can't do right 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 she's got a point of view that allows her he says that at some point too like my experiences on this ship have right. shown me to think differently or to look for more solutions so he is constantly sort of adapting to his experiences on the ship they make a point to mention that they make a point to bring that out Yes. It's a parallel that I would have liked to have seen him do more with. I mean, I, I don't know if they were as conscious of it as you are. It would have been something nice for them to play with some more. I would like to have seen that. But I, I think that they were aware of it. And that's why I was excited about the character journey that he takes in this episode, because in the beginning, he's very rigid in that scene. And we've seen a very rigid wharf. And by the end of the episode, he's able to break through some of that rigidity and outthink the situation because he's using information. He's not just using his heart or his angry brain. And maybe it's because he just had all that sex and he's he's able to kind of... The blood's flowing. <laughs> right. The blood's it's, flowing. His so brain's, he's, he's got it going. It's working better. But 
you know, he's able to outthink that situation in a way that nobody else could. And that is a transformation from the beginning of the episode to the end. And I, I enjoy that. I think it's some excellent character building. I want to touch on this idea of what happens after they're all charged up from the murder and wanting to have sex with each other. They start this foreplay. I think before the commercial break and the director bull invented these things kind of on the fly on the set. And it's funny because sometimes there's this invention that happens on the show. Famously, right. Leonard Nimoy invented the Vulcan greeting, you know, with the, with yes. the fingers. Yes. The, the split fingered greeting. Right. Based yeah. on some kind of greeting he saw in temple as a child. And so really, I yeah. never knew that. Like sometimes things are invented on the show by like actors or the or the mm -hmm. you know, the writers and directors that are that stick that are interesting, right? Like the neck pinch and all that. Right. But in this situation, Bull <laughs> created some weird shit that I don't think really went anywhere. The first thing they do is they clasp hands, and then I don't know if he's squeezing her hand or she's digging her own fingernails into her hand. Is that what's happening? In my mind, part of it was like she was so pent up. Right, right, that she was so like, and he is, of course, they're both kind of doing it. They were doing it together. You know, the imagery is pretty obvious. You know, we're going to penetrate to lead to fluids. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. There's blood that comes out of her hand and she's bleeding down her hand and then. And then tell what is the next thing that happens? I think the next thing that happens is we cut to a commercial. No, they, they start. They start. He smells her wrists, and she smells part of him. And then you're like, "Oh, what's going to happen next?" And then it's like, uh, "Vultures!" Or uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I think I think what happens. Chuck wagon. At, at first, I was like freaked out by that smelling, and then I thought to myself, maybe they're supposed to be smelling each other's pulse. Oh, that's like, smelling each other's blood. I, I, I get because I, otherwise, why would you just smell their palm? I mean, I don't know. It was weird. I mean, I, I think it, the idea was that these are sensual beings and they're maybe he's smelling like pheromones or something coming off of her because she just is so charged right. up. But mm, you smell like you just sliced up Skeletor, you know, <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I I. I figure it had to be blood. It it had to be like I smell your blood. Yeah, all right. Well, that's cool. I mean, that whatever. And that I mean, what's weird is that they're so charged up. They just murdered these things, and then it's like cut to commercial. And then when they come back, there's no sign of they're not laying in bed together smoking a what'd you call the <laughs> a sarg, the Klingon cigarette. They're they're just standing there in the holodeck still, and 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 we get it through the dialogue that they did just consummate. Because, right. you know, Worf starts with this Klingon nonsense about trying to marry her or own her or something. Right, right. So it's implied that they had sex. But it's funny because we just saw a couple of episodes back Riker getting it on and starting the act of sex with the with the Irish chick. Um, Rena Odell. Yeah. And they were doing I mean, they Rena Odell. I mean, we don't need to see like we don't. I mean, again, Dave, we don't need to see like violence or we don't need to see like actual penetration or anything like that. But I mean, just oh you can't even have these two Klingons kiss each other. It's, we'll never know. The mystery of Klingon sex will never be solved. See, with the, with the kissing thing, I figured honestly, with the the, the, the lack of kissing. I keep thinking about what you said <laughs> with their makeup. Right. They can't touch right? each other. They, they, they can't really touch each other because their makeup is... When they shoot this, like every single time they do a take, these guys have this makeup on. They're under these hot lights. And every time they set it up, they have to stop. These two have to sit in a chair. Makeup people come over to them, reapply the makeup, touch up the spots where they're sweating. So they're sponging their heads or touching up 
where the appliances are coming loose on their heads. So, I mean, it really is an ordeal to shoot these people and for the people, of course, the actors to be sitting in this makeup. Right. So, yeah, you're right. Anytime there's physical contact, we talked about this on the. Yeah. Q who? Why doesn't Worf beat up the Borg? I mean, there's a lot going on in that episode and they didn't have the time for Worf to go over there and manhandle somebody and have to deal with all the makeup consequences for that. But it is funny, you know, the most normal human experience when you're showing people trying to get it on or falling in love is kissing each other. And that's the last shot you take. Just have them kiss, cut to commercial, or that's the end of the day. We're shooting this shot last. You guys kiss each other. For as tactile and physical and violent and sexual as these people are, they have no contact. My other question then to you is, was Worf a virgin before this moment? Oh, man. Because he's so, you know, we've had sex now. We're mated now. Right. We got to take the oath. Do you think? That was the implication. At least that's what I got I from I guess. It. That makes sense. I, I, You know, the only other sign of any sort of understanding about sex is that Worf has mentioned that he can't have sex with... With human, right? yeah, with human women. Right, right. That, I mean, I always took that as he tried it. I, I think that's the idea. Like, this is the first Klingon that he's ever come across, right? Well, he says we are mated. I don't know what the implication is of that. Is it we are mated as in we finally had some sex? Right. Or was there something more to it? We have no idea because we weren't allowed to see it. Yeah. They still have their clothes on. You know, I mean, <laughs> she she has some of her stuff is removed. Right. Right. Like her shoulder pads and stuff are, are removed. It's like we are mated. And then she says, yes, I know I was there. Yes. That's which funny. to me implies, you know, we had sex. So now we have to solemnize the union. Is this the first time he's ever been mated? What I liked about that sequence is that she has absolutely no, she wants nothing to do with that idea. She doesn't want to be tied down by this guy who's obviously not always a level thinker. And she's very smart and very ambitious and very brave. She doesn't need to be weighed down by somebody like Worf, who's just not as progressive. And I I liked that they did that, but it, it kind of is a, I mean, I mean, maybe they knew the arc for her character in him, so why not push it a little further than it you know, needed to go? When he says, we are mated, I mean, maybe he's just literally saying, we just mated. Right, but now we have to get married, because we had sex once. Once. Uh, hello, uh, remember when Picard came in to the holodeck in New Orleans? One, one, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one. <laughs> right, when Riker invented Minuet! He comes in, hello, 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 I've brought you some of my delicious sandwiches. I heard you were mated. You must be famished after all that. You've worked up quite a hunger. Ensign Gomez is down in engineering, brewing up some hot cocoa for afterwards, too. You need to hydrate. You've got to drink something, I'm always telling you, Worf. Replenish your fluids. Yes, you've lost at least a gallon of your Klingon. I have lost considerable amount of vital fluids. Mr. Worf, uh, the captain told me uh, about water loss when Klingons have sex. I do want to throw in there again that we absolutely lose track of what the hell these Klingons, why they were asleep. I know. And why they just left them wandering around out there asleep. I don't know. There's like a huge question here, but again, who cares? It's a cool idea that these, you know, there are these stories, these urban myths probably of Japanese soldiers that got lost in the forests in Japan or on these islands and still thought they were fighting, you know, that World War II was still happening, you know, 
somewhere right. and didn't get the memo, you know, and, and it's, it's something akin to that where you have these warriors are going to act like warriors still when they, when they wake mm-hmm. up, but the whole plot is a little tortured. It's like they're in such a rush to catch people that are literally asleep. Why not just go to the ship while they're sleeping? And she suggests this. Why not materialize on the ship and try to stop them from waking up so that you don't have to deal with this? You know, the solution is really right there. It could have been its own episode. And it could have been interesting in its own way. But it's much like Hearts of Glory, you know, from season one. No, very true. Where you've got it's these rogue Klingons and they don't want to behave. And what are they going to do when they come up against the Federation? And we, we see more of this as the Klingon narrative continues. I, I think we're putting this one in the uh, the good category, the like good. Yes, we are. Is, we are. This is a good episode. We've we've had fun watching it. It was entertaining. It did not make me want to crawl out of the shuttlecraft and suffocate in space, so I didn't have to listen to the questions from Crusher. <laughs> Explosively decompressed. Right. All right. So you wanna you wanna put this little baby to bed? You wanna put this little uh, infant to sleep? You wanna rock it in its cradle? Good night. Good night. Uh, episode 20 you weren't so bad after all episode 21 is next dave and that's a little a little uh number we call peak performance oh i i do want to mention that last time i said that the next episode was going to have ferengi in it and i was wrong i, I, I know you said this that next in a, episode this next episode are going to have ferengi i was it. so i was stressed out ever since you said that i was practicing oh, sorry, my man. ferengi getting my teeth back in andrew i i put my teeth in the best part of waking up, Andrew, is, is folders in your cup. So we're going to see some Frankies next time. I'm very excited about that, Andrew. Hey, I Andrew, Andrew, I don't know if you know, we have a website. It's um, it's, it's, it's T-N-G-E-E-Z.com. I like to I like to hit it at the end. And that, that that's where we warehouse all these episodes that we're putting together for you and your enjoyment. If you like this one, you can go back there and listen to, like, I think 46 or seven other episodes. I'm going to sign this one out, Andrew. You've been listening to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. I am Commander Dave E. Dave. And I am Ambassador Andrew. Let's go mind the store. (laughs) See? If you follow your dreams of sandwiches, they'll take wings and and fly. <laughs> Flying sandwiches. <laughs> Something for the great bird himself to enjoy. I followed my dreams. And now after work, I ignore my family and talk about sandwiches aboard the USS Enterprise. Galaxy class sandwiches. I've followed my dreams, and I believe you can, too. On the very next episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast, it's episode 21, Peak Performance. The Enterprise-D is a ship full of nerds with phasers and torpedoes, right? They got a saucer full of kids and puppies. They're, They're not a military operation. Picard and Riker duke it out. In space. Ugh, never mind. That doesn't really happen. They are going to battle each other in space. Picard and Riker face off as two of the most tactically minded captains in the galaxy. And, and uh, oh, well, 
That doesn't really happen either. It could have been a whole great episode where they were just playing this war game with each other. But the return of the fan favorite Ferengi? Oh, yeah, that happens. Honest to God, they're back. Uh, uh, Captain Picard, the the clock is ticking. This episode is so loaded with action, your head will explode. Oh, no, don't worry, everyone. That doesn't happen either. So join us for the next exciting episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast.